anybody that's looking at, at starting an AppSec program, my first advice is ju don't just start with tools. Everybody looks at quadrants and says, what do I need? What tools do I need to put? Where do I need to put them? I need to start scanning things. And that's their first step. My encouragement is to start with learning and understanding, figure out who the players are, figure out those champions and start with the relationships because those are going to breed success the whole rest of the time that you're trying to grow the program. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Seeding AppSec, the podcast where we discuss the latest trends in application security and talk shop with AppSec leaders and practitioners from around the globe. Seeding AppSec is brought to you by Arnica, a leading application security solution changing how AppSec teams approach risk identification and mitigation. Arnica is shifting the AppSec paradigm with real-time pipelineless risk identification and Git posture management, allowing teams to protect their developers, their code, and their products while maintaining development velocity. Check out arnica.io to learn more. In the meantime, sit back and get ready for another enlightening journey into the world of application security. All right, welcome to the second installment of Seeding AppSec with our first guest, David Nolan. My name's Simon Wennett. I'm the head of growth at Arnica. We've also got with us Nir Waldman, who ran the show last time, CEO of Arnica. And joining us, we have David Nolan, who's the CISO of Aaron's company. David, I'd love for you to give a bit of an intro and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I've been with Aaron's for quite a while here in Atlanta, and I've officially got responsibility for everything from security to enterprise risk. So that not only includes the great stuff we're going to talk about today, but also really putting a business spin on thinking about risk. But I've been a nerd for a long time. I'm sure we'll get into that as, as much as I'm farther away from the development area, AppSec's kind of my home. So yeah, a lot of years and really looking forward to having a fun chat. Well, excited to get into it. I, I think to kick things off, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you ended up in security in the first place. Everyone's got a different journey. I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, it was one of those. So, so most of my career and prior to security, I've been a developer. So, you know, that was always something I loved. I love creating things, building things. The, the whole, hey, if you've got code, anything's possible, right? So I've always liked that. But I've, as a kid, I not only like building things, I really like taking them apart, seeing how they worked, breaking them and kind of understanding the mechanics of things. And I think that is security, right? So I was naturally drawn to not just building, but also taking things apart and maybe seeing how they can make them work in ways that they shouldn't. So that's kind of the interest side of things. But formerly, so I used to work for Caterpillar and I, most of my career, like I said, it was development. And at one point they were looking at expanding and maturing their security program. And they were looking for not only someone interested in security, but someone had development experience. And it, the timing just kind of worked out. I was looking to get into security and they were looking for somebody with development experience. And it was an opportunity to not only chase kind of my dreams, but also really help build an application security program from scratch and, you know, try a lot of new things and new ideas. And frankly, the rest is history. The journey from a, a company with big physical infrastructure that had to be incredibly interesting, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and then I work. I, I wonder. Go ahead, Nick. I, I was just, I was just curious. I know you were excited about security. They were looking for someone that you know will take a security role. Like, how did they identify that, and how did that happen? You yeah, know? a lot of it's luck. I mean, right place, right time. You know, a lot of it was, and I encourage anybody out there interested in getting into security, you got to make your interest known, right? And, you know, luckily I had a couple of projects that, that kind of got me some visibility. 
And, you know, once you get that and you kind of spread it out there of, hey, I want to take this success and I want to get it into security. Oh, and by the way, I happen to be a developer at heart. You know, things just kind of kind of line up. So if this is a career advice podcast, it would be, you know, make your interests known because, you know, you're only a small percentage of making your career. Others can really help you on that journey too. And it happened for me. I got to share something that, you know, I had on my side that I might relate, you know, in, in different companies, some of them, we actually had the security champions program and security champions are typically pe- people like you were someone that develops code and, and excited about security. And, and it was very easy to identify part of those that actually maybe had maybe less vulnerabilities in the code, or maybe the ones that actually went and fixed most of the vulnerabilities. And, and I think that what you mentioned is really important because some people will not tell that they're excited about security, but you will see the impact in code. So, so that tip is very useful. I mean, it needs to be known. Throughout my, the programs I've built, you know, security champions is a big one of those, you know, a lot of people build a formal security champion program, but a lot of times it's the informal people that you're referring to, right? It's those that are interested in having the conversation of how they can do things better. It's those that, that are striving for you know, perfection in their code and things like that. And a lot of times just starting with those that, that are interested in partnering together, as opposed to putting a title on it can go just as far as having, you know, a full program. So just to round out the point, I was once told that success is just luck, but you can make your own luck and luck is comprised of being visible so that you get opportunities and knowing when to take the opportunities. And to your point, the more visible you are, the more vocal you are about what your interests are and where you want to go, the more chance there is that those opportunities are going to come your way and, uh, you know, good for you for striking when the opportunity arose. Now, you know, I'd love to jump in. You went and built the, as I understand it, you went and built the AppSec program at Caterpillar and then at the Aaron's company, you've been in sort of a more of a an overseer role where you you had members of your team building that program. I'd love to hear from you. What would you do first three months, six months, nine months when you're setting out to build or oversee the building of an application security program? Yeah, I would, I'd say it depends on the company and my approach has changed over the years. So my first program would not be my second program, would not be my third program, right? When I joined Aaron's and we were building an AppSec program, my number one goal is don't tell them how to build an AppSec program because they can build it better than you could because you know, there's always an opportunity to grow, but I, I think kind of at the macro level, anybody that's looking at, at starting an AppSec program or even taking over one that maybe needs a, a jump start, my first advice is ju- don't just start with tools. Everybody looks at the quadrants and says, what do I need? What tools do I need to put? Where do I need to put them? I need to start scanning things. And that's their first step. My encouragement is to start with learning and understanding. So really those, the tier three, six, nine question is the first part is understand how development work gets done. Like start there, right? Work with the development teams, work with your DevOps teams, whatever have you in your particular organization, figure out who the players are, figure out those champions, like, like you were saying, those who are at least interested and start with the relationships because those are going to breed success the whole rest of the time that you're trying to grow the program. So start there. And then additionally, in those first few months, start by setting your targeted security outcomes. So the key difference there is that's not requirements. So we're not talking about requirements. We're not talking about like thou shalt type of things, but saying kind of almost a vision statement when development is done at this stage, what do we want to be true? 
You know, when it goes through QA, what do we want to be true? When it hits production, what do we want to be true? And then after you've established that, work with those teams to partner with those teams to say, okay, these are the outcomes that we want to see. How would you do it? You know, because they're the ones doing the code. If we create a process or a program that's inherently high friction, that's inherently in conflict with the way they do development, it's not going to be successful from the beginning. So I think partnering on that, working together on the strategies and approach is are important. And then you're probably asking yourself, like, how do you understand what hit and what to do? So you can certainly identify your threats, threat model, identify your critical apps. All those help you in deciding how to scale, which ones to start with, those types of things. And then kind of finally looking at the kind of six to nine, that's when you really start establishing the security capabilities. You may have some quick wins that you can put in real quick, or maybe there's already something in play if you inherited a program. But that's when you start kind of taking all the, how is dev get done? What do we want the outcomes to be? What are we going to approach and really build the kind of rubber meets the road type of concept? So the important part there, I would think, or advise folks is that can be build, that can be buy. That can be improved. It doesn't have to always be by. It can be various capabilities. You want to focus on integrating. So always focus on integrating, whether that be pipelines, processes, approaches. Overall, you should be looking at anything that is involved in building the app and let creativity be your guide. I've, especially at AppSec, I've found some of the best ways to get security adoption are things that, you know, the maturity algorithms don't tell you because you're the one coming up with the, the creative way for your business how to get those involved. So, you know, meet the devs where they work. And if you want it to be successful, the defaults to me are integration, automation, and self-service. So I need to piggyback on that because we spoke many times about those things and obviously we're very aligned on that. But you know, there are different types of companies. There may be maybe smaller companies, maybe mid-market, maybe even bigger companies. And honestly, have different challenges in those. So for example, you know, when you go to even midsize and above, you may have multiple products in the company. Some of them can be external and some of them can be internal. And at the end of the day, and that's maybe a good feedback that, that would be great to get from you is what are thoughts about how do you get, first of all, what is important for the business? And second, wherever it's important, how do you know who you need to speak with? And it can be any security owners, developers, business owners, whatever, but Maybe these two, what's important for the business and who to speak with? Yeah, I. it's hard if you're in a giant company, right? If you're coming to a company like I had 100,000 employees, you're not going to go to every one of those, obviously. But like, it, it all goes back to relationships. That's why I very purposefully said start with that, right? I think being intellectually curious is how you answer that question. So go to, you know, you can always start with an e-commerce approach because generally that's one of the, the more critical apps at a lot of companies or at least customer-facing type things. Talk to those people. Be like, hey, what are some other applications that are really changing the business? You know, how are we enabling profit through technology and applications? How are we serving our customer through technology applications? Like, find the people in the business. If you don't know where to start, or maybe you're not a, a leader, a senior leader, like start with the developers. They're gonna know the other developers, or hopefully they will, right? And they're gonna they're gonna help you find and navigate that. I would say don't necessarily start with security people. Yeah. They we're left out of a lot of conversations sometimes at companies. And so I think it's important to start with the people that do the actual work. And once you establish those business relationships, be intellectually curious. The way I did it when I first started at Caterpillar is go talk to business leaders, ask them what their bad days look like, like what's a bad day for you and how do you enable the business? Those are my first two questions. And usually 
if they were slightly technical, you started hearing applications being named, you started hearing what those did for the customers. And that kind of leads you to it. And it answers your second question too, is what's important to the business? Like it's different for every single person, but they know you don't know. So ask him the questions and just be curious. I, I can also share, sorry, but completely agree with, you know, talking with the developers because obviously they will always have a different scroll and they will know how to direct you to, to different areas, uh, which is probably also associated to their, you know, jumps from different teams, jump from, jumps from different projects, and they can relate to the, to those different projects that they've been working on. The additional thing that at least I saw as beneficial was when I joined the, the previous company that I worked for, I actually spoke with two people that made the biggest impact on my plan. One of them was the CFO of the company, and the second was the CTO of the company. And it, it boils down to what sells best and what is strategic, right? But that's on top of maybe what poses the biggest risk. Like I said, maybe, you know, e-commerce is, is customer facing, but it generates 10% of the revenue, which I hope not. But that's an example of maybe how you can balance between the two. You can go bottom up and you can go top down and potentially get the answers that you're looking for. It's always got to be that balance, right? Like I, I always say, and we use this as a slogan internally, like our job is to be trusted risk advisors to the business. And a, a big part of that is is what you said, right? If you've got something that generates 40% of revenue for the company, it may not be the highest security risk from a risk perspective, but that's probably the highest business risk, right? And if that goes down and stops generating revenue, you don't have a budget, right? For security. So it is a balance because we got to stop you know, the attacks, but we also got to manage business risk as well to make sure the, the business can keep going. So it's almost like in your threat modeling, you, you can't just have the threat and the vulnerability to that threat. You actually have to have the value of a potential incident. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's a complicated um, thing. And, and again, every company is different, right? Even I've encountered some security product companies and they accept risk and have vulnerabilities in their code. Like that's the reality of it. Like you got to make money at the end of the day. So I, I love what you said in your, go to the CFO, understand what drives the business, but then also understand on the technology side, how business is driven with technology. There, there's another neat pick that, that I need to mention. So, you know, as, as part of the things that, that we're doing, we're also trying to answer those questions. And, uh, I just had a conversation earlier today. And someone mentioned to me, I said, hey, you know, I understand, you know, which product, maybe which repos are important and I understand how you classify those things. But I have a repo that is not classified as important, but that is the repo that deploys all of my code to the cloud. That's my template. And, you know, while you have those conversations still, you know, bottom up and top down, there are some areas that may be worth looking at that are cross-functional areas that might have a big impact, but they're not necessarily either strategic or financial to the company. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a good point in, you know, as you mature an AppSec program or a DR or a BCP program, my experience has been, you know, you can look at say a payments, a lot of people are in e-commerce, a payments app. Most everybody would say it's critical. It's how you get money in the door. Right. But when you start looking at, okay, well, how does that payments app know that, you know, you made a payment to the POS or know that it's, you know, now you can pull the inventory and stuff. It's the integration sometimes that companies miss when it comes to critical apps because 
they're always seen as these little scripts, like you're saying. It's just a little piece. It's just a little part. But hey, if that breaks, your chain no longer works. And now your business doesn't run. So that's a good, great point. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here, but you've been in uh, security leadership roles for quite a long time at this point. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've been able to learn over time? You mentioned your first AppSec program wouldn't be the same as your third. What are some of those lessons you learned over time and matured the different programs in your career? Yeah, I've, I'm going to sound like a broken record doing this podcast, I'm realizing, but it's kind of what you said. My my current program, if I was going to build, my role is to just build an AppSec program, would definitely be different. And I think we all need to be vulnerable to do that. Like, even if you're just talking to pure play CISO moving from a company to a company, the way you got security done needs to, is not going to work the same way at the next company. Like, the way you influence, the way you had relationships, even the technologies you use, what's important to the business may be quite a bit different. So the same goes for AppSec. You know, whether it's a company where you build products like applications for your company, you have embedded systems like we, we had at Cat, whether you outsource development, maybe you don't do it in-house, maybe you've got a lean or an agile, a waterfall, or, you know, there's just too many variables to deploy the same approach at every company. So I think you got to understand as a default how things get done and what drives the business. And then your creativity side has to come out and you have to apply security to that approach. Again, you're going to get tired of me saying it, but like you need to meet the technology teams where they work and, you know, integration, automation, self-service, like I said before, is probably the critical things. I've tried programs in multiple other ways. I was, you know, near and I remember joking when I first moved to Atlanta, like, I was the guy who did the scanning and breaking pipelines and like, you know, hey, you've got these 8,000 program critical vulnerabilities and like, you need to drop everything and work on them. And like the business is like, or the developers are like, I got to like make the company money here. And then I just keep pounding that, you know, hammer. That was probably 15 years ago, but like that doesn't work. And so I think partnering relationships and really understanding how the work gets done is great because you know, as these programs have developed, you know, without going to specifics, my first program had an army of secure developers, later programs, heavy automation, heavy integration had like single digits of people working on it. To some extent, security didn't own the security of the application development because it was owned by the teams that were doing it in those pipelines. I wonder, so you said every program is different and obviously beforehand you mentioned that there is all about relationships and all about connecting to the same processes that the teams have. So, you know, it's not uncommon to see that security teams go and select tools, right? In in certain cases, you can select the tools because these are the tools that you own and you run and it can be corporate uh, security tools, for example. But when it comes to AppSec, what actually gets into the place when you select a tool? Is it you, the devs, it's both? And and what does that take to select a tool or select a better process? My first question when the teams, it, regardless of AppSec, come to me and they're like, hey, we're not happy with this capability, right? We're looking at a way to improve it. First question is, have you worked with the team that's going to be impacted by this? Like, have you worked with the team where the results are going to go? Have you worked with the team is going to have to help you support it, deploy it, whether it be a simple as a firewall or an endpoint solution or an AppSec solution. Like, have you collaborated with them to understand the impact of the technologies you're looking at? And that's my first question, right? And there's some kind of ancillary benefits to that. If security is over here in their perceived ivory tower, 
and we're shoving vulnerabilities down people's throats and we're like, hey, we got this new XYZ tool. Like, that's just not automatically there's going to be a resistance to it. But if it's, hey, we work together and decided this was going to be our approach for those outcomes we talked about and you hear a developer whining about it and they're like, it's an opportunity to say, well, we built this. Let's talk about how we improve it. And it's shared responsibility or sometimes, you know, in a perfect world, it's their responsibility for the code. And it's much better that way than selecting a tool. Yeah, you're going to have like, especially if you're doing attack and pen, you're going to have backend tools and technologies and stuff. But I think you have to default to collaborating together. And just a quick success story. I remember one of the DevOps teams once coming to us and say, hey, we found this technology that this company is looking at. And it's a brand new way of approaching security in our DevOps stack. We would love to explore it and consider it. Security team didn't even bring that forward. And the team, his team comes to me and goes like, what do you think about this? Like, you know, we weren't involved in this selection. I was like, everybody, we just had a non-security team bring us an idea of how to do security better. We need to jump on that and support it. And yeah, of course you do your due diligence and we work together on it. But like, those are the moments that you just got to snatch and encourage because that's a culture that so many companies are looking for. And we just, we need to support that. We need to be part of that. And I think it all starts though with collaborating first and then being seen as kind of a trusted partner. I got to ask you then. Go for it. Because I'm, it's so exciting. So when they come to you with a tool and they say, we want to go and replace that tool or bring a new tool uh, in-house, is it because they want more security? They want better uh, developer experience? They want platformization, whatever, like quality. Like what are the, like, what is their motivation except making David happy? Yeah, it's never making me happy. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I'm just happy to be here, I guess. But I've seen two different ways. One is just improving the dev experience, right? So if you have enough pain, you know, developers are going to automate things. Developers are going to find the shortcuts. They're going to make, they're going to make their jobs easier. That's at least what I always used to try to do. So that's definitely one aspect of it. You know, things like false positives hurt us, or, you know, this is, this adds 20 minutes onto my my you know code release or commit or something like that. Those things, of course, generate things, generate um, th these types of pushbacks. But I've also seen, and this is the cool one, is, hey, we were looking at doing this type of new technology and we were thinking about security as part of that. Like, that's one of those where I remember just being so proud of everybody. But it's, you know, whether it be looking at, hey, we're looking at doing containers and we were thinking about how do we protect containers these are the types of controls that we notice they have, like that simple discussion all the way to something that's groundbreaking and new. I remember when serverless first came out, it was like, hey, we're looking at doing serverless. We know that you can't deploy agents like you could before, but we've been thinking about, we know you're going to ask us these questions. So we've been thinking about it and this is the way we approach. Like that's to me the more fun one. And it really shows you that you're able to have that culture where at least security is being thought about. And then you can come in and help advise and do that stuff. So kind of those two areas. What are, so we've talked about a culture where this type of collaboration can happen and how critical collaboration is. What are some tangible strategies that you've found most effective at creating this type of strong security culture with engineer? Yeah, it's a number of things. I think you have to be seen as a partner and you know, I, I realize it sounds like I'm just selling something when I say all these buzzwords, but what I mean by that, you know, is you need to be seen as helping them and that's just helping them on the security side. I remember a number of years ago, I had one of our security people come back and 
they were talking about, hey, I want to build this thing for the QA team. And it was not a security product. And it was, they're struggling with it and they can't automate this particular test flow. And they ended up building, without getting into details on it, like this technology that combined an Arduino board, a few other physical technologies, and a Pi with some APIs on it to be able to automate a more physical part of testing. And we did that because when we can automate the QA testing, we could automate our DAS testing, we could automate a whole bunch of other security things that we had to do manually. And so what was great about that is a QA team saw us as solving their problems. We were getting a security benefit because now the automation allowed us to automate the security stuff. And it was a win-win for everybody. And so ever since then, like we had, I remember we were presenting at a CISO conference and it was a developer, a QA person, and the security people were sitting in the audience. And one of the CISOs goes, wait a second, where's the security people? <laughs> and, they were, and there was no security people on stage. And I think that it really starts with being that trusted partner and you got to eat your own dog food. And that really ends up being taking to heart what they're trying to achieve, help them get it be a trusted partner. And then as part of that journey, advise them on security and help them out and they'll help you out just the same. Awesome. I do want to uh, add in a question from the live stream here. And the question comes from Marcello. And the question, is it possible and sustainable to manage risk via automation? That's a good question. We probably put it in an AppSec or an, an automated lens. I don't think it can be a hundred percent of the solution. The way I always tell people is you want to automate everything that, well, that's automatable, but the, the reality is we pay individuals for their brain, right? For dealing with the edge cases, for being creative and all that stuff. So you want to automate all the stuff that is a pain in the butt, right? Everything that has consistent flows, consistent approaches. I So I think you can automate a lot of it. One of the examples I always love talking about is like when security is, I'm sorry, infrastructure as code first came out, a lot of people got very scared by that. And you know, we initially look at it and I think a lot of security people say no, similar to when the cloud first came out, like, no, don't go to the cloud. It's dangerous. It's just different. And what we were able to do is automate a concept of security as code and actually scan the infrastructure as code, similar to what you'd scan development code for, find problems, find configurations. And you were able to, to reverse those or push golden configs to overwrite those and stuff. And I think that was a great example of how automation can have huge gains in enterprise risk, but I think us completely stepping away from it is probably not the right choice. So I think it's always a balance like anything, but I think you need to fully adopt automation. Any company that is not at that point is falling behind whether they realize it or not. Awesome. We, we've got a couple more questions from the live stream, but before we get to those, I want to ask you, what does success look like for an application security program? And what do you think the most, well, We've talked about the factors that contribute to success, but I'd love to hear what success looks like and how you measure it. That's a good one. I think for me, it comes down to two, and that's quick response for high-risk findings. And so things like weaknesses and opportunities that can be caught earlier in the process, or even if it happens to be later in the process that people rally behind it, you know, it's one of those is it's not just a critical on a metrics board, right? But if you can get to the dev teams of say, hey, I've got this and our cross-site scripting or blind SQL injection. And their initial response is like, show me. Like if you can demonstrate to them and everybody gets behind it and they work quick, I think that's one. So quick response and everybody takes it seriously. I think ownership is a big part of it. It's the later part of that cultural journey, but 
if you can have the dev teams take pride in ownership in driving down the risk, so improving the effectiveness of the processes and stuff like that, but also fixing those weaknesses and the concept of owning the outcome or really owning that application. To me, that's like, to some people that's a never achievable, but a dream state, I've seen it. And to me, that's success, you know, and then you ask, you know, what are the most important factors to get there? Uh, here it is again, it's relationships, get their input early into the process. If you're building a new program from scratch, I think the only other two things I've seen people shoot themselves in the foot is give people baseline periods to address technical debt and then build goals for people to rally behind. So, you know, I've seen some of these new security programs be like, hey, we have a million criticals. I think if you can set achievable goals together, you can rally behind them. I mean, you could have silly recognition and you can have parties attached to the victories and stuff. Like there is never a goal that I have not seen teams exceed when you don't get them bought into it and you get them excited about it and you get some sort of, some of the dumbest recognitions I've ever had to do, like cut my facial hair into a design that the teams chose were some of the best motivators to, to move security forward and like cost me nothing, you know? So it, I think it's always push sometimes just excitement over uh, progress is, is all you need. And maybe I'll add to that because I think that there is, you mentioned there's a thousand criticals. How do you handle a thousand criticals? Obviously, you can't just shove it to anyone's throat. But what are your thoughts about, you know, having a backlog versus maybe enforcing a policy that says you have zero new criticals? And now you can work on the backlog in your own pace, but at least you stop the bleeding. I think somewhat that's a, I'm going to cheat and say it's a business decision, right? You can't focus on only one. Right. So if you're just going to focus on technical debt, it's going to continue to grow as new stuff happens. I think a lot of that starts with owning the outcome. If you can get the teams to really be proud of what they have, if you can get them knowledgeable while you're fixing the technical debt on how to better code things, some of that kind of naturally happens. Even if you talk about it around things like patching and stuff, fixing technical debt without having automation and good forward facing patching processes is going to be very expensive, very time consuming, and it's never going to get you over that. So sometimes you got to start with getting healthy at the way you do things now. So that way you can be more effective and faster at uh, tackling that technical debt. My experience though has been like the technical debts where you set the goals and you slug through it, but the getting better at how you do it is for a lot of people more fun. I want to round out with the question of where you see application security going in the next five years. Just a, a small topic. If I had a crystal ball, right? I mean, we'll have to see, I, I'm going to start with a, a simple response. It should be following technology. So we got to see where technology is going. But as a general sense, what I'm seeing is it trending more towards being developer centric, meaning the developers are being more empowered to control their own outcomes. It's, there's a lot of move to striving to be more native, having not security be a separate concept, but having be part of the DevOps processes and part of the dev processes. You know, I see you know, just security in general, AI is a big thing. There's a lot of folks I'm talking to are starting to use some form AI in their both development, but security processes as well. So I think that's going to continue to grow. And then the obvious one that everybody talks about is supply chain concepts, right? Various supply chain visibility and protections, I think are still maturing. I think a lot of them are, you know, trying new stuff. Things like Artica obviously is, is a great one in that space. But there's, there's a lot of areas, a lot of new visibility into how third, fourth, fifth, sixth parties, outsourcing development, downstream QA, like all these things, and how do we have visibility and protection? 
I think those are problems that we're going to try to solve in the next few years more effectively. So, you know, tools will evolve. And even if you look at open source tools, uh, there are some even, you know, phenomenal open source tools that can provide various capabilities. And, and obviously every company can have minimal resources or someone excited uh, about security and then that is excited about security, they can implement those tools. And I wonder, you know, what would be the security job in that case? I mean, tools will be implemented. Things can be cleaned up. The tools will be better. I mean, yes, there are certain areas that are not there yet. And everyone are pissed off about like static analysis, but, but things will get better. Right. And, and I wonder what are thoughts about, you know, as tools get better and as developers get more accountability towards security, what would be the role, what would be the role of AppSec that maybe is more intelligent in that sense? Yeah, I agree with what you said. I don't think it'll ever fully go away. There's always going to be some fire to fight, but I think there's two sides to that. I think what I said at the beginning, which was being trusted risk advisors, you know, we're always going to be able to be the architects and be the people who are be paid to figure out how to break things and make them not work. And then we can advise folks how to make better. I think the advisors is a big one. And that goes for all security things like, you know, yeah, I've got responsibility for enterprise risk. And I think the reason that is, is because security individuals have a mindset of risk, right? And whether it be a security topic or a business topic, if we attune ourselves to be better at talking in business terms, we're going to be indispensable to the business in a lot of areas that we don't think of today. I think the other side of that, like, and you'll appreciate this, I've got developers on the security team and we help build things for not only the security team, but for others as well. We help automate things. We point these individuals and you know, we got one in, one in particular I'm thinking of, we point her at problems and we help solve business problems, right? And a lot of times those have a security upside, but if you've got driven individuals that have a holistic view of how things should work, how they shouldn't work and how to like be that glue, we're always going to have a value to the business. Well, we are now at the lightning round portion of the interview of Scenic AppSec. If you were a leader of an anonymous hacker group, assuming that you're not already, what would it be called? <laughs> what? I'm old school. I like hackers of the movie. So it'd, it'd be a, we'll call it zero cool crew. I love the zero cool. So something like that, at least. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Great well, showing my age here, but yeah, I'm an original hackers fanboy. What advice would you give a young aspiring security professional? I'd say stay hungry and stay positive. Like it's easy to burn out in a world like this, especially with perceptions of, you know, the cyber criminal out there always having the edge. If you stay positive, even in the, even in the fire where you just take a step back and say, we've got this, we can handle this. I'd say that's a key thing. Just know there's always more work to do than time you know, mental health and self-care is one thing that's really important. If you look at the security industry, there's a lot of burnout, a lot of CISOs quitting, a lot of security individuals just saying, I've had enough. So we as a community got to keep each other healthy and, you know, stay positive and stay hungry. David, I have actually, I need to say something. So one of the, one of the things that were very beneficial for me, at least when we just, at least when I moved to Atlanta, I went to those small conferences where I could meet people. This is how I met David. And this is how David and I ended up, you know, in some of those conferences spending, I think the majority of our time talking to each other. 
because we were excited about the same things, although we were not working in you know, similar companies, similar, I mean, everything was kind of different, but that was super valuable, at least for me, to build my career and wonder what your thoughts about it, David. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, it, at least the Atlanta area has a really great, call it culture, call it community. I think having your team, right? So your your team of, call it mentors, call it peers, call it influencers. It's the person I can call near and be like, hey, like we're struggling with this concept. Like how have you approached this? Or, hey, I'm looking at this new tool. What was your experience with it? Or there's this new cool things that are out in the market. Is it just vaporware or is it like something that actually provides value? Just having a peer that you can turn to through those communities, I think is huge. So, you know, I encourage all of my teams, get out in there, go to the collaborative dinners, go to, you know, targeted conferences, not these multi hundred thousand people conferences necessarily, but the ones where you'll have 50 people and you'll meet your peers and develop those relationships. Hey, there's that word again, where you can, you can always call on somebody because we don't have all the answers and really we're all fighting the same criminal, the same evil. And so we should be able to work together. We're a lot of times not seen as competitor companies. We're seen as fighting the same thing. So why not use that? David, thank you so much for joining us. Another fun episode of Cine AppSec. Really such a pleasure chatting with you and thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for having me. That wraps up this edition of Seeding AppSec. Find and follow the podcast for more application security insights by subscribing on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Arnica's pipeline-less security solution can improve your security posture, visit arnica.io or follow arnica.io on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, keep secure and keep seeding AppSec.